what gives you value and purpose and makes you the person that you are is not defined by the time that you run in your track meet or on the basketball court. I think that if we're really helping these kids prepare for life and the hardships and challenges and and joys and success and all the things that they're going to be, I think if we're truly committed to that, then we're committed to the day-to-day of making sure that they understand that. Welcome to the PT Rebels podcast. This is the place to learn how you can become a PT Rebel and take charge of your own health and wellness. We will help you find answers to your questions about pain, injury, and the path towards healing in the most efficient and effective way possible. I'm your host, Dr. Gina Fick. Coach Copeland is the head cross-country and distance coach at Saparo High School. He has been coaching distance runners for over 15 years, 13 years at the high school level. He is passionate about building teams of high-character individuals that believe in the mantra, when your teammate's success is just as important to you as your own success, then you have taken a very necessary step in reaching your potential. As well as, the quickest way to destroy something beautiful is to compare it to something else. Those beliefs have led to a significant amount of success throughout the years. Coach Copeland has coached teams in four different years at two different schools that have finished the season in the Diastat National Rankings, three of those teams finishing in the top 10 in the country, and one of those teams finishing in the top five in the country. He has coached a three-time All-American sophomore and junior national class record holder. He has coached Colorado State champions in cross country, as well as track and field in the 800, 1600, and 3200, as well as a 4x800 state championship team. His runners have won those state championships over six different years since 2012. This past season, his first year of coaching at Chaparral High School, he helped coach the 5A boys state champion and oversaw the emergence of the Chaparral girls cross country team that finished third in the state and sixth at Nike XR Southwest and 27th in the country. Before this past year, the Shap girls had not been ranked in the top 10 in the state in over 15 years. Coach Copeland, welcome to the podcast. It's a privilege to have you with us today. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. It is an honor to have you today. I've wanted to do this for quite some time with you and I highly respect you not only as a coach, but as a friend. And I've been so thankful for for your friendship and for knowing you and seeing the success that you've had with your teams for so many years now. So I wanted to have you on the podcast to talk about our collaboration together and what that looks like for the teams and the athletes that you've had throughout the years to get your insight on what makes a champion, what makes a champion resilient and resilient through injuries and how we team together um, to help these athletes and to help the teams that you've been a part of. Thanks for having me on and the respect goes uh, both ways. So it's really uh, an honor to to be on this. Thank you so much. Coach, why did you get into coaching in the first place? And what drives you as a coach to show up each and every day for your athletes? Yeah, uh, that's a two-part question for sure, because I, I accidentally got into high school coaching. I'd been a, an avid distance runner as for, for quite a few years. I'm a, I'm a recovering alcoholic, and, and distance running was a pretty significant part of my recovery. I really found something new in life when I got sober that became a big passion. And my distance running was really just about me and my own recovery at first. And then 
I began helping just some friends who knew that I loved running marathons and started developing a knack for just helping them get to the place they wanted to go. But as far as coaching high schoolers, it was a little bit accidental. We were back in the the panhandle of Texas. I was traveling quite a bit in my business and the athletic director at this high school knew that I was a distance runner and knew that I was really passionate about it. The high school cross country and track coach had resigned like right before the cross country season. And so the athletic director had reached out to me and asked if I might be willing to help out uh, while they looked for a new coach. Yeah, that's really how I got into it. Now, once I did get into it, it became, other than my family being married, it became the greatest passion in my life. Yeah. And I've seen that passion just really play out through the years. And I think your ability to create culture and to transfer that passion to your teams and to your athletes is what one of the things that's made you so successful. And so on a day-to-day basis, um, what do you get excited about with coaching? What are some of the things that you really enjoy in coaching high school athletes? First off, what I really look forward to is I just, I love seeing the kids each day. I love seeing them right when they get to practice. I kind of love watching and seeing, hey, where do I think they are emotionally, mentally today? We're in Colorado and it might be on a September afternoon or August afternoon after school. It might be 100 degrees outside. If it's January, it might be 10 degrees outside and a, a lower wind chill. And so it's, it's always interesting to see where the kids are when they're coming to practice each day. And I love that piece of it. I, I love checking in with them, talking to them before practice. And then depending on what we have going on that day, then it's time to start making some real-time decisions about, hey, are we going to continue with exactly what's planned today? Or based on what I'm seeing, are we going to make some real-time decisions to make some changes? When I love the ebb and flow of that piece. I think your ability to really read and get the pulse of your team is so essential in that check-in process and their willingness to pivot if needed based on how they're feeling. I think that's really important. I think that's one thing as a coach that makes you successful is because you're willing to, number one, listen to them, but also number two, make that pivot if you need and not just do what you have on the plan for that week. I remember several times that kids would call from your office and you would have them check in with me based on how they're feeling. Or I'd be with a kid and you give me a call and it's just to have that ability to check in with the athlete and communicating with each other and being able to quickly change what I'm doing or changing what you're doing with that training program has really been helpful, I think, for our athletes. And so I really enjoy having that freedom to be able to communicate with you and vice versa. I think it's been really helpful. Yeah, that partnership has been, that partnership has been huge for sure. I have another question for you in terms of some of your most successful athletes. What are some of the qualities and character traits that you have observed and seen in these athletes that go on to be of the elite level? As I look back through the years, each individual athlete, they, they all have their certain things that make them who they are. But I do think that there are some similarities across the board. And hey, how do you take a kid who is here and all of a sudden they're moving to an elite type level? And I I think some of those things are the ability to self-motivate, right? As a coach, if I want it more than a kid, they're probably not reaching an elite level. 
if a parent wants it more than a kid, they're probably not reaching an elite level. Some kids, yeah, they're absolutely just so gifted. They may get close to that, but maybe rather than even saying elite level, it's like reaching their potential as an elite athlete. I, I think that the ability to self-motivate and do the things that it is going to take to reach that level is, is very important. I think that their ability to trust in me as a coach, to trust in you as a PT, but also in the midst of that trust, really, I, I think being able to communicate their personal needs. And that was, I know you've had Taylor Whitfield on here before on your podcast, and, and that was something that Taylor did so well. I wouldn't have considered her injury prone in high school. There were certainly some things in her world that we had to be careful of. We worked to a certain point, and Taylor was then really good at letting me know her needs, letting you know her needs. I think that was really important. Something that really stands out about all of the elite athletes I've had the privilege of coaching is they all have some sort of joy factor in their lives. They love what they're doing. They love the people that they do it with. There, there is joy within the coaching and the athlete relationship. I would say that every elite high school runner that I've coached has some sort of joy factor. And then lastly, I think that, and this probably goes back to the ability to self-motivate, but I think that they have to be able to be willing to do the things that others don't want to do. And that may mean PT, that may mean self-care of their recovery. Are you getting the, the extra mobility work done? Are you getting eight hours of sleep at night? Are you eating the way you should, hydrating the way you should? When all your friends are going to do something that's going to take a lot of energy, can you say no to those things at the right time of the year? I'm not talking about, hey, as a, as a high school distance runner, you can't have any fun. You can't have relationships with your friends and, and do the things that they do. But I do think that there are certain times throughout the year you have to make decisions about what you want long-term rather than what you want at the moment. Because that whole joy factor, that's going to become because these are well-balanced kids. And maybe that's one last one is I think that the most elite level kids I've ever coached, they're very well-balanced across the board. They are singularly focused when it's time to be, but they're very well-balanced. I think those are similar, similar qualities that I've seen as well. And how do you think you as a coach can help develop some of those qualities? What are some of the things that you see as joy stealers or stealers of joy? Comparison is the thief of joy. I've always said comparison is the quickest way to destroy something beautiful. I think the comparison game can take a, a kid down and, and not just a kid. The comparison game can take a coach downhill. I coach in an area where from year to year, there's probably four to five teams that are all ranked in the top 20 in the country within two to three miles. I mean, some of my best friends in the coaching community, they're going to NXN and, and things like Brooks PR almost yearly. And, and it's really easy, especially in my early days of coaching, when we had a team of 15 kids at Valor <laughs> uh, to see some of these programs pull up in their buses and 150 kids get off the bus and you see this huge program that had massive amounts of success. And I fought that as a coach early on here, comparing myself as a coach. Oh my gosh, I'll never be here. And I had to fight that all the time. But what I really found is some of those coaches of those best teams, those have become some of the best friends that I have um, because they were all willing to help out and walk alongside me as a coach. 
So I think the comparison game, whether you're a coach or an athlete, that can be a joy stealer just on its own. I think that the things that can inhibit a kid, and this probably goes back to the other question you had just asked. I think when a kid gets so singularly focused on the task, it's like you, you have a kid that they have these goals, they write them down, hey, this is what I want to achieve. And they become so singularly focused, that becomes all that matters in their life. And I'm like, hey, wait a minute, we are in high school right now, okay? And you have friends and you have a family and you have a school and you need to be going to high school football games and you need to be going and supporting your friends in what they're doing. And obviously there's a healthy balance with that. I think when I've seen that type of individual that has the capacity to downward spiral pretty quickly. I think we can become our own worst enemy when we don't have maybe some broad things that, hey, these are things I really want to experience in life in the midst of my goals, rather than this is my goal and I will do whatever it takes and everything else just goes to the wayside. So I think one of the things that really stands out in my mind in terms of your success with coaching is your ability to create a really strong culture within your team to the point where athletes are really willing to do whatever it takes to follow your training plan, to trust the process, to follow your system. What are some of the things that you do as a team to help develop that culture? Sure. I think that whatever sport you're in, it's always called the the X's and the O's as a coach. And that's not this relatable in the distance running world. But I think that knowing what you're doing as a coach, we have to know what we're talking about. That is a big piece of this. The, the best coaches I know have several things going for them. But the foundation of, of all of that is always, hey, I need to know what I'm doing when I am training kid. Because if I don't understand the whole physiological piece, and if I don't understand the progression that we need to be taking a freshman in high school through a senior in high school, if if I don't understand that, then all of the other things that I might have going for me as a coach, those at some point are going to hit a wall. So I better know what I'm doing as a coach in helping develop a kid over the long haul. I do believe that I have the capacity to make a kid believe something about themselves that they had never believed before. That for whatever reason, that's just something that is innate in me as a coach. When I look at the kids in the past that have had success, whether it's on a state championship level or whether it's just breaking 25 minutes in the 5K, it's helping kids realize that, listen, you have a potential here that you never knew existed. I probably saw that more in this last year than I think I'd ever seen it in my coaching. Because I, my first year at SHAP, for the most part, these were the same kids that had been on the team the year before. But just coming in and being able to help these kids see, hey, this is what you were capable of. And we're going to do the work to prepare ourselves to have these opportunities. But when the opportunity is there, this is what you are capable of accomplishing. And I would say that has been one of the biggest relational builders between myself as a coach and the kids I coach is these kids know that I believe in them. I want the best for 100% of my kids. And I'd say about 99% of the time it works and 1% of the time it doesn't. But that's okay because quite honestly, there may have just been something as a coach that I didn't offer that kid needed and then they find it somewhere else. And that's okay. But I think across the board, 
kids know that I believe in them. And the other piece of that I think as well is the kids know that I'm not ever going to ask them to do something that I don't feel that they're capable of doing. And they also know that I'm not going to ask them to do something that I'm not capable of doing myself. As a coach, this is a 46 to 48 week out of the year commitment for me. When they take a break, I take a break. And I failed at that before, you know, where I probably needed to take a break when they were taking a break and I didn't. And you hit some of that burnout and you realize quickly, hey, I'm not the healthiest version of myself now because I didn't take a break when I told the kids to. I coached them, but I didn't coach myself. And so I think that the kids understand that, hey, I hold them to a high standard. And if they're doing cross country and track, that high standard is if you want to reach potential, this has to be a 46 to 48 out of, week out of the year thing. Okay. But you need to know that as you're putting 46 to 48 weeks out of the year into this, that I'm going to do, be doing the same thing right next to you. I think that's great advice. And, and I think that's what I've seen from your athletes is they do have that understanding and they're committed and they'll do whatever it takes to make sure that they follow your training plan. They trust the process and they ended up usually becoming pretty successful. It's been really fun to watch and see that. So in terms of handling adversity and hardships, and in this case, we'll talk about injuries. How do you work to help support and encourage your athletes through that injury process? I, it's hard to be an injured athlete. As a PT, you know that because you're watching your friends, you're watching your teammates do things that you're maybe not getting to do at the time. And it can be heartbreaking there. I think that things like anxiety and depression can seep in. But I do think that especially when you're at that place of being an injured athlete, you have to keep the people who love you the most around you. You've got to keep them in your corner. You cannot isolate yourself from those that love you the most. The, the, these athletes have to be willing to listen to their coaches, listen to their friends, listen to their PTs. Listen to their parents that want the best for them. Being an injured athlete, especially when you're a high-level athlete, I think that's a really tough thing. And especially in the teenage years, I think it's even tougher because you're looking at how quickly one year of high school can just be ripped away from you. When if you're somebody who's interested in competing at the next level, let's say that happens your junior year of high school when those times are pretty important. I think that trusting the process in the midst of that is really important. Obviously, what we were talking about earlier with your coach, but then it becomes about trusting the process with your PT. Hey, what is Gina Fick telling me that I need to be doing right now? And I've got to trust this because if I'm going rogue and I'm doing my own thing, this is probably not going to fix itself very quickly. I think the hardest person to hold accountable very often is ourselves. As, as a coach, I am passionate about holding athletes accountable to what they need to be doing. As an avid and passionate distance runner myself, I'm not always so good at holding myself accountable to that standard. If I'm training for a marathon and all of a sudden I've got an Achilles that's starting to bother me, it's all right, I'm 12 weeks out. I don't have time to go see Gina, okay? I've got to do this and I need to get my running in. Well, two weeks later, I may be in a far situation and I've done that to myself. So. I think that we've got to keep ourselves accountable and we've got to understand the long game in it, right? Again, like we referred to, the short term cannot ever take precedence over the long term. Great advice. 
When an athlete feels like they have an injury, how do you prefer that they communicate that with you? And what are the, some of the next steps that you take in helping them manage that injury? Yeah, I think first step is communicate that with me. It's definitely double digit numbers and maybe triple digit numbers through however many years of coaching now that a kid ends up with some sort of injury, whether it's minor or severe, just simply because something was hurting. And they didn't want to tell me because they were afraid I'd shut them down. So I think first step is, hey, just communicate and communicate early. If I've got a shin that's bothering me, I need to communicate that to my coach. And we're going to make a decision on what's best. We've got a girl on my team right now that you've worked with for a couple of years who's had stress reactions in her shins. I think she, since she was a freshman in high school and that's been this ongoing thing. And so when I came in to shop this about a year ago, it became really important. That was the conversation with her because she was again in the middle of a three-month break because a shin splint had developed into a full-blown stress fracture. And it's coming in and meeting her and, and knowing how she was wired. You know, you realize quickly that, hey, some of the reason that she's in this position is because she doesn't let you know on the front end what's taking place. And so it was saying, really early on because she's, again, she's one who wants to be a high performer. She will work however hard is necessary to get to this level. It's sitting down with her and saying, listen, the potential for you to be at this level is there. However, you are having to take three month breaks once or twice a year because you allow this injury to get to this point. So what we've got to look at is this next year, your number one goal from basically March 1, to December 31 of 2023, the number one goal is that we do not have to take an extended break for an injury. We're not going to miss training time because we've gotten injured. And guess what? It went nine months. We never took an extended break when we needed to take a daily break or a cross training day, whatever that looked like. Hey, go get in the pool and deep water run or get on the elliptical or get on the alter G. We did those things. When this girl got to end up being a part of a team that finished third at state, she was anywhere from our number one to four rudder throughout that whole season. Huge PRs across the board. And now we're getting ready for a, a healthy winter of training. At this time a year ago, she you know, was on the sideline. And if we're going to go into track season with her being really healthy, and a lot of that had to do with just on the front end saying, listen, we've got to communicate with each other. The relationship between her and myself has been huge. The relationship between her and you has been huge. She's been consistent about coming in to see you, about getting those little things done like we talked about. So that was just one example with her, just because this is a, a girl you obviously know, I know. And, but I think as a coach, I've got to have a good relationship with people. I'm not just sending kids to you. Okay, Gina, do your thing. And then you send them back to me and you're like, okay, Coach Copeland, do your thing. We communicate with each other. You let me know about what you are doing with the individual. I let you know what I'm doing with the individual. And I think that that relationship with the coach and a PT, it's vital. And quite honestly, not just the coach and the PT, the coach, the kid and the PT. It's like a triangle. Hey, we're all talking to each other. We're all on the same page. And out of the three of us, one of us is not veering from that page. We are all moving the same direction. How do you develop trust and communication 
with a healthcare provider, such as a physical therapist or chiropractor that you've chosen to partner with. I think um, one of the, the biggest things is just that communication piece where if I see your cell phone ringing or I see a text come through, I try to answer it right away because I know that you have sure. something important to communicate with me about. And I know that you do the same. Is there anything else that you value in that relationship and the people that you've chosen to partner with? One of the reasons that you and I have a good relationship is that we've communicated on the front end of things. You know that as a coach, I truly care about my athlete's health. And if I see something early on, we've got to start moving in a direction to keep you healthy. And I don't know how much a PT is going to trust a coach if the kids that the coach is sending the PT are always in a pretty major phase of injury. I'm not going to wait to send a kid your way until their legs broke you know, or, or their hips torn or whatever. It's if I see things the front end where I'm like, hey, this needs to be dealt with soon. That's going to happen soon. And so I think that building trust in the relationship early on is really important. I think it goes back to what you were saying earlier too for us as healthcare providers. I think we have to know what we're talking about. We have to have a certain level of expertise, especially when it comes to working with cross-country, distance, track and field athletes. I think that's one of the key things in developing trust is just that you know what we're talking about and that you see over time that we can have the conversations based on a good knowledge of not only the injury process and the injury, but also their sport and how you're coaching. And so I think that develops time. I think it's talking with each other, sitting down and talking about what the workouts are going to look like. I know that in the past and now I, I get to see what those workouts look like. And that's helpful for me. I glance at them only because I know what that athlete's going to be doing that week. So if I have a kid who has Achilles tendonitis or a mild shin splint or a mild bone stress injury, I can see what the training looks like. And then I can give you a quick text or a phone call and say, would you be okay if we put this kid in the ultra G on their easy run days? Or would you be okay if we offloaded this kid 25% and come at it from that approach of what's your perspective instead of me saying, Hey coach, we're going to do this. It's a partnership between all three of us with you and me and the athlete. And I want your input just as much as I want to give my input because you get to see that kid every day. And then that becomes an easier conversation, not only with the athlete, but also with the parents and maybe the high school athletic trainer or whoever the other healthcare providers might be. I think that's one of the ways that we can develop trust early on is just to let you know that we've had experience in this area. We know what we're talking about. And if it's something we're not sure of, we'll help you find the answer. So yeah. <clears throat> being willing to pivot and change based on if you tell me I really need this kid to be able to do X, Y, and Z this week. All right, let's figure out a way that they can do that that also won't put them at potential risk for further injury. So I think that's been really fun for me because I've learned so much in the last 10 years from working with coaches like yourselves. And really the best coaches that I've worked with are coaches who are just willing to listen to their athletes and willing to adapt and change based on how the athlete's feeling it goes back to the very first thing that we talked about today. I really respect coaches who are willing to listen and care enough about the kids to 
make sure that they get the care and treatment they need and potentially change the program early on just so they can tackle that injury before it becomes something much worse. What are some of the most common injuries that you have seen as a cross country and distance coach? Lower leg stuff for sure. I think especially with newer runners, it seems every year, especially early summer, there's always a handful of kids that have the kind of early onset shin splint stuff. And sometimes that may be because they show up in a pair of kids to run across the country. Or, so it, sometimes it's because they haven't gotten the right shoes and they won't go get the right shoes. Sometimes it's because they come in, they're telling me they've had a certain level of activity and you realize pretty quickly, I don't think they've actually been doing these things. And so there's always, I think, some lower leg stuff, especially early in the summer for especially probably the incoming freshmen. But at the same time, I think through the years, just as a coach, probably that intuitive piece, you start figuring out early in the summer, all right, you know what, I'm just going to make these decisions based on what I've even experienced for the past decade. So I think probably over these last few years, I've probably seen the, the incidents of kind of those early onset shin splint things probably dissipate just because as a coach, it's, you know what, I'm just going to treat kind of these incoming kids just in this manner with their training because I have no idea what they've been doing. But I do think some lower leg stuff, especially over time, the shin splint piece, especially with those kids like we've talked about that are their A-type kids that, I, hey, I'm trying to succeed. And, and so they may work themselves to a certain level before you ever even know something's hurting. And then by that time, it's, man, we've got to be careful here. So definitely through the years, I've probably seen some of those shin splints turn into stress reactions, even stress fractures, which I always hate. We had one female that had ended up missing time over the season. But I think out of all the guys and girls, that was it. And so over time, I think some of those things as a coach, you just start learning to look out for. I do think, especially with the younger females, especially as they're getting ready to hit their growth spurge, there always seems to be at least one hip issue per year. And again, just as they're developing, things are changing. I just think that the the hip, the labrum, those things are like, we got to be really careful here. I think you get the random hamstring or quad or something, but I don't know that I would ever say those have been the consistent ones. I think the consistent ones have always been the lower leg or the hip through the years. What tools do you feel been valuable for your athletes in our practice for recovery and helping them to heal quickly? Sure, I would say first off, just injury prevention as a coach. I don't want them to get to that injury level, but sometimes it happens. And so then it becomes more about the management piece. But I think things like strength training, core work, hip mobility has been huge. You've been a huge help with that. We're in the weight room twice a week for most of the year. And I think that's a huge prevention piece right up front. And I'd say as a coach through the years, I've gone back and forth with weight training was a form of strength training. I I have developed more and more of a trust in it through the years for distance runners, but I think it has to be managed correctly. Taking a, a semester break from coaching and then coming back in at a new school it really gave me an opportunity to take a look at coaching philosophy, year-round philosophy, and be like, all right, listen, what are things that maybe you've gotten away from that you believe in as a coach? And what are some things that as you start this new role that I started last year, what are some things that you want to implement again? 
or what are some things that you've been wanting to implement that you just hadn't because you're always just on the go. And so I, I think that something that I really looked at this last year is that I have control of my program. I am the head coach of my program. And if someone else is overseeing the strength training, then I better be in absolute agreement with it, with every little thing. As a head coach, it's my program to lead. I've been hired to do this. And I've got to be in agreement with every piece that we do. And so something even just as a change in my own coaching and some of it's just because of what's available at the school I'm at. We don't have a, a full-time performance trainer. We don't have a lot of these things. And what I've had to look at is, okay, hey, what works for my program? What works for what I want to see? So I oversee the strength training. I oversee the mobility. I oversee every little piece. And so what we do is exactly what I want us to do. So having the ownership of a head as a head coach of saying, listen, guys, Here's the strength plan. Here's the training plan. Here's the everything plan. Okay. We've got to move forward all together with this. Okay. We don't go rogue. We don't go do these different things. If there's going to be any of that, then we will sit down and talk about these things very closely together. A lot of times, like with multi-sport athletes, right? Okay, we've got to share some responsibility with other coaches or other trainers. And I fully want to do that. But when it comes to the cross country and the track piece, as the head coach, it starts and it stops with me. And if I'm not the one who's overseeing these things, that I'm not doing my job as a head coach. So I, I know that's this long answer, but it is this piece of recognizing that for injury prevention or injury management, it starts with me and it stops with me. I don't want to get to the point where I'm sending a kid to you because they're at this level of injury. And if that's happened consistently, then I'm not doing something that I should be doing. So what I look at is just like cross training, right? It doesn't replace running. It's an addition to running. Okay. Same thing with a PT. The PT does not need to replace where I want to go as a coach. The PT is just a great addition to what we do. And if I've got a runner who's spending too much time with the PT, then that's probably my fault. Or the PT's fault. Or the kid's fault because they don't listen. <laughs> exactly. If a PT is doing their job and communicating well with the coach and the athlete, usually we can get high school injuries nipped in the bed pretty quickly. If you're not sure what's going on, you're not sure how to handle the injury, let me do a quick screen on the athlete or short evaluation. And I can tell you, hey, they just have a minor tendonitis in their posterior tibialis tendon and need a little treatment, two or three visits, or, hey, I think we might need imaging. But we can look at it very quickly and help that athlete avoid months of grief and lost time from sport. And so I think that's where making sure that they get seen and communicate with you quickly helps to solve a lot of problems. We didn't really have to see a ton of kids in our practice because you were able to adjust training loads or adjust the type of training or just get them in to see me quickly so that we could fix those issues rather quickly. One of the last questions I want to ask you, if a younger athlete is considering joining your program or another distance cross country or even track and field program, what are some of the top qualities in a program and a coach that they should look for um, before joining that program? What advice would you give them? When families are looking at, at coaches and programs, you've got to be looking at 
somebody that you know is going to be invested in your life and invested in seeing you become the best version of yourself that you're capable of becoming. And to do that, it requires more than just a 12-week cross-country season. It's got to be more than just looking at a 10-week track season. And I'll see you on day one of the start of track season. And then I won't see you again for 10 more weeks until we, the official cross country. I think that it's really important that coaches across the board, if, if they want to see athletes truly reach their potential, then they've got to be willing to walk alongside those athletes for 46 to 48 weeks out of the year. I think that coaches who can consistently remind their kids again and again that, hey, this, this time that's on your watch right now or this time that's on that scoreboard when you cross the finish line, that time does not define who you are, okay? This isn't going to be about you becoming what your PR is. No, it's like we talked about earlier. One of the reasons that injuries can be really hard on a kid because if my worth is found in this sport, if my worth is found in these times, what happens when I can't do that anymore? Does that mean I have no worth? And as coaches, we've got to be walking along kids saying, hey, this is not who you are. What that scoreboard, what that stopwatch says, it's not who you are. No matter how fast you may run, okay? You may become a world record holder. That doesn't define who you are. That's not your identity. It's not your worth. And as coaches, we have got to make sure, us again, especially in teenage runners, Okay, because we are helping these kids develop habits. We are helping them develop opinions. We are helping them develop characteristics in their lives that are going to be a part of who they become for a long time. And we talk about that with, on, on the team a lot is, listen, the type of person you are in practice is going to re closely resemble the type of mom or dad you become. The type of work ethic that you have in practice is going to parallel to the type of wife or husband that you are, the type of friend that you are, the type of employee that you are. And so I think that as coaches, that means they get a lot of who I am. That, that means they get a lot of my time, they get a lot of my attention because we are not just developing fast runners, okay? We are developing high character individuals. And if I'm only willing to be a part of that for three months out of the year, I'm not really putting a whole lot of emphasis in this kid's life. I think you just summed up why I really appreciate and enjoy partnering with you because I know that you care about these kids so much more than their performance on the track in cross country. If a kid is having a tough time, we not only partner together to make sure that they get through the injury, but also get through that personally and whatever it takes to help make sure that they're okay. And I will both do that. I think for us, it's a bigger mission. I think that's one of the things that we can give athletes is our heart and knowing that we care much more deeply about the athletes beyond physical therapy, beyond their performance. It took a long time for me to realize what you just said. Who you are is not directly tied to your performance on the track. What gives you value and purpose and makes you the person that you are is not defined by the time that you run in your track meet or on the basketball court. I think that if we're really helping these kids prepare for life and the hardships and challenges and, and joys and success and all the things that, that they're going to be, I think if we're truly committed to that, 
then we're committed to the day-to-day of making sure that they understand that. So that's one thing that we try to do in our clinic and the types of lessons that we can instill when having conversations. Kids know that they can trust us to listen, that we can be a voice of encouragement for them. I know that you can trust that when you send kids to me and vice versa. And so when people ask for a coaching recommendation, I never to recommend you. And it's a privilege and honor to do that. And it's been such an honor to have you on the podcast today. I always love talking with you, but I just want to have our listeners understand the collaboration that we've been able to build together and what that looks like and how that can mutually benefit our athletes in the program that you're building. Greg, I wish you always nothing but the most success. The sky's the limit for your teams. And I cannot wait to see how successful you guys are, not only this season, but in many years to come. So congratulations on your success. And thank you for just being such a trusted source that we can collaborate and communicate and work together with our athletes. Yeah. Thanks. Seriously, this goes both ways, right? It's just a significant amount of trust in you, not just as a PT. That's what I hear from kids very often is Gina's become a mentor in my life. And so we're in so much agreement on that. It is very rare that I meet another coach that doesn't truly value the things we're talking about. I think what happens is you had made a statement just a minute ago is that we are speaking to a kid's heart, right? It comes out of our heart. And when we're talking about heart to heart coaching, coaching to athlete and then athlete back to coach, what's a common phrase? Broken hearts get broken. And when we're in this thing and we're coaching from our heart and, and, and we're building into athletes that receive from their heart, there are going to be times when hearts get broken. And, and these kids are at an age where those things matter. And long-term, what I hope is that what I do as a coach, what you do as a PT, what my fellow high school coaches do is that long-term, I'm saying 20, 30, 40, 50 years into a kid's life, that these kids can always look back and say, my coach wanted the best for me, and they were willing to walk alongside me at, at every moment. Those coaches, I really believe, make up the most of the coaching community. Yes. Thank you so much for your thoughts. And I completely agree. And I'm so appreciative of our time today, Greg. Um, I'm going to run and treat some patients now. And um, I know I'm sure you have some to get ready for practice and various things. <laughs> 